The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. We're here today to announce charges in the largest college admissions scam ever prosecuted by the Department of Justice. Cheating on college entrance exams, meaning the SAT and the ACT. And second, securing admission to elite colleges by bribing coaches at those schools to accept certain students under false pretense. Shocking news this week as we heard of the largest college admission scam ever prosecuted by the Department of Justice. Bribery, phony scholarships, phony SAT scores. Celebrities are implicated, including Fuller House actress Lori Laughlin, Felicity Huffman, and her husband, William H. Macy. My f***ing wife has an ass in her in the driveway, Kurt. I'm sorry if my thoughts are not on the photography of the film we're shooting tomorrow. The news announced by Massachusetts U.S. Attorney Andrew Lelling of Sharon Mass, by the way. Shout out to Sharon. Today we talk with crisis management expert Ashley McCown, who has handled such cases in the past, to hear about what it all means today on the Boston Podcast. This is our f***ing city. From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Good morning, Boston. What's happening? This is Dave. Welcome to the Boston Podcast. Hope you're well. Uh, what a day it was yesterday in Boston, and I have a guest to talk about the ongoings at federal court. If you've been trapped under something heavy or you just slept for 24 hours, you might not know that federal officials announced yesterday that the results are in from an investigation on university bribing, I guess is the best way to, to call it, that uh, certain well-to-do parents use their money and influence to get their stupid kids into colleges. And other parents are pissed. In fact, the world's pissed. And the likes of Lori Laughlin and Felicity Huffman and possibly other important people that we haven't even heard from yet are in deep doo-doo. And uh, who knows what's going to happen with their kids. But we have someone to explain it all here, which is really cool. It's so fortuitous. Ashley McCown is here. Wait, hold on, Ashley. Hold on. Okay. Proper introduction. So Ashley McCown at the I want to say crisis management firm, but that doesn't but that's only part of what yeah, your firm. One slice of what we do. One slice of what you do. It's Solomon McCown. I've known Ashley for years, back to my days in Lawyers Weekly. She's the best in the business, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to PR, crisis management, and all that kind of fixing stuff that people need in the public eye. And uh, so the firm is Solomon McCown. And before I forget, SolomonMcCown.com. Mm, I'm not going to spell it. Let's say it's it's <laughs> typical spelling, SolomonMcCown.com. But um, welcome, Ashley. Hey. Welcome to the studio. Thank you, Dave. Good first to be here. time, first time here in our Westwood studios. What do you think? I not, like him. I dig him. It's okay. working for me. Cool. Um, free coffee. All the coffee you can drink. Good coffee. Yeah. God bless um, Mr. Keurig um, or whoever invented that thing. <laughs> so um, we're going to talk about what you do and everything. But um, tell me, um, let's let's first let, let's hit it right away. What was your reaction when you heard the news yesterday about this uh, investigation? <laughs> wow, just wow. Yeah, right. Know, just breathtaking in its scope. Mm-hmm. I think an eight-year investigation, um, the number of people involved, and I think really at this point it's not the institutions that have been proven to do anything wrong, but people that work there, a sailing coach, an admissions officer, 
and the network that this guy stitched together of um, proctors at exams and the menu of opportunities for parents to bribe him um, in order to get their child into some top-tier schools. It's just the, how he put that all together because um, he's now seeing um, everything he possibly can to the feds um, to reduce his own sentence is just kind of shocking. Um, yeah. My first reaction was a little bit of anger, given that I have a, a I child. <laughs> I have a child that mom and I are desperately trying to set up for. He's a junior, so he's on his way to college. Yeah. And to th- and to think um, that some people aren't playing by the rules. Wh- why do you think this upsets people to such a deep degree? I think for uh, several reasons. I mean, these are again, it's a swath of top tier, you know, institutions by many people's estimation. You know, the Yales of the world, the USC, and so. Um, those schools are competitive, you know, even on the on the simplest of days. And so, to try and kind of rig the system to um, have someone get in at the expense of somebody else, you know, I was listening to the radio on the way to the studio this morning, and there was a, a really nice piece about um, a young man. He's he was not born in America. His family's been homeless off and on. He just got into 17 colleges and universities. The mm. first kid in his family to go to college, and he's like, "Hey, that could have been me, right? So someone else here. I am working hard to get the good grades and do things in the community, and get a good test score. And somebody could have taken my spot. And yeah. so I think there's there's there should be outrage um, amongst parents and prospective parents of these institutions for exactly that reason. It's you know, they jury rigged the system. Yeah, and in this. In this era in particular, I'm learning that college admissions are more competitive. I mean, this is Captain Obvious observation here, but that yeah. it's more competitive than ever. And I haven't gotten a straight answer out of anyone as to why. Some of the schools that, that I, uh, you know, my son's super bright. He gets great grades. I did okay myself. And there are schools that I thought would be easy for me to get into that he's saying, oh, there's no way I'll get in there, Dad. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? It is nuts. My, yeah. my nephew's a, a freshman at McAllister, and he's super happy there. And so we watched the whole process, and there's a lot to learn. You know, There are experts that can show you profiles of different institutions and things that they look for. Um, and then at the end of the day, if you don't get in, you don't even understand why you didn't get in. Yeah. So you can't even learn from it. Right. Um, it's, right. It's, it's a tough gig. So tell us where you typically come in. We were talking before we started recording about how in crisis management when something like this hits, you can be called upon to pick up the pieces. Is that fair to say? Pick up the pieces or step into the middle of the storm. Yeah, it (laughs) happens a few ways. So we do crisis planning. um, And so the other end of the spectrum is the crisis hasn't happened yet. An institution or or corporation, we do both nonprofit and corporate work, want to have a crisis plan to be protected and and ready as an organization. Mm -hmm. Um, The second level is um, the potential client knows something may happen. They're going to be named in a, in a piece of litigation. They're going to be investigated by the SEC. And so they have some time frame knowing it's going to come and going to become public. We come in and help them plan for that and plan the messaging and roll out the communications. And the last would be something like this, where you're already in the middle of the you-know-what storm. And yeah. um, it's on social media. You're being attacked. Um, misinformation is out there. Um, typically, we're brought in by attorneys. So um, either in-house counsel, outside counsel, or an attorney on the board if it's a nonprofit and to be brought in and figure out what's the communication strategy, not just with the press and social, but within the institution or the organization. Mm -hmm. How are you going to talk about it to your employees? How are they going to be messaged to deal with the public if they get questions? What do you communicate to the board? And then what's the messaging and the strategy for press and social media? I'm already sweating, and I'm not the one under investigation. I'm just picturing this. You must deal. You must see looks on people's faces that are among, represent the the lowest, <laughs> you know, that they've been. You know, when when something like this yeah. hits, I can imagine being, 
you know, uh, Laurie Laughlin, Laughlin or Felicity Huffman, who uh, they've had success all their lives as actresses. But this is so personal and the things people are saying about them. It's right? nasty. It's yeah. very personal. You yeah. know, and, and frankly, we do more work on the institutional corporate side than we do representing individuals. But okay. I think in that case, you know, there's an element, I think, for most people. of How did you think you weren't going to get caught in this? How did you right. think you were going to get away with it? But you know, good people make mistakes and make bad decisions. Is there anything you can say? So say you're in the first meeting with either an organization or an individual who is under attack, perhaps in a legal sense and perhaps in a, in a public eye sense or probably both. Um, you just rattled off a whole bunch of things, all of which strike me as very important. And I can see why people hire you to be the quarterback for all that. But is there anything you can say at the very beginning to soothe their nerves? You know, like like everybody take a <laughs> breath or do you have a bottle of vodka in the meeting or what do you uh, do? We do that later on. That's not a good way to start the meeting because we need clarity and, and good recollection. Right. You know, I think um, the, the big thing we do, and it's the reason I find this sort of work personally gratifying and, and why we consider it valuable as an agency is – you can come in and help an organization get through probably the worst thing they've ever gone through. And, and so we can say, you know what, we are going to get through this. You're going to come out the other side. Um, but I've also had conversations with institutions to say it's going to get worse before it gets better. You mm. need to, we need to help them understand what's going to happen and the timeline in which it's going to roll out. Uh, and oftentimes there's more bad news to, to put out beyond what first got them into the, to the problem. Mm. Um, and so the ability to say we've gone through these before, I'm going to give you sort of an, a, you know, a relative timeline of how it's going to roll out. Um, here's some of the hard questions we have to be able to answer because that's part of our gig is we have to know the worst of the worst so we can help them plan for that. Do you have to push back on certain instincts that people may have? In other words, mm -hmm. there's a lot of people are saying this about me. We have to fire back right away. Yep. Um, and, and we don't fire back right away um, with the exception of if there's a stories going already and there's been a no comment or a lack of response, we want to get into those early stories because – there's an obvious perception if someone's not returning a phone call from a reporter or saying no comment that they're guilty, right? Mm -hmm. the, the biggest part on this is you're guilty in the court of public opinion um, before you ever actually go inside a courtroom. And you mm -hmm. know there's some other work you've done over the years with attorneys. And so we want to get into those early stories um, with some position for the organization while we gather all the facts. But shooting from the hip, running out and doing an interview on camera, ill-prepared, not going to happen. Yeah. And I have a feeling you have great instincts as to how the, the press and, and the Twitterverse is, is going to react mm -hmm. to a certain thing. Although I guess you can't, you can't always be sure, right? No, but, but look, we've done this for a long, long time. So you start to anticipate what those things are going to be. The other challenge is the intersection between social media and, quote, traditional media, right? Mm -hmm. So something breaks on Twitter or breaks on, on Facebook or there's a bad video out there. The press use it. I mean, they'll, they'll write stories instantaneously link to the tw you know to the twitter post don't call the institution um for a comment or clarification so now you're dealing with perhaps misinformation yeah, that's scary it's on a legitimate news outlet right and, and then it's like the can't unring the bell thing right yeah. like no matter how you fire back that that is rough i'm not a genius but i can think of one example where i correctly predicted how something was going to go and it's kind mm -hmm. of a mundane example so i apologize in advance <laughs> but back when i was at lawyers weekly i was involved i was brought on onto a committee of the Mass Bar Association and the people in charge were doing the first ever evaluations of judges. So there was a questionnaire mm -hmm. sent around to all lawyers and lawyers sort of ranked the judges. This judge is wonderful and intelligent. This judge is terrible and screams at people and is miserable. And they gathered the information and the judges' names were on. And, the, pla and the plan was mm -hmm. to release this information publicly. 
And so at the 11th hour, they got cold feet and they said, I just think it's going to do so much damage to the judiciary. So let's release the, all the information, but we won't include the judges' names. So, but you'll be able to draw these conclusions like, you know, 80% of judges are good. And so I raised my hand. I said, well, don't bother sending this to the Globe or the Herald. And they said, why? And I said, because I can tell you what the headline is going to be. It's going to be this evaluation of judges doesn't name names. Right. <laughs> and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And, yeah. and so um, th- that's because you can you can kind of see where something like that is going to, uh, you know, the, the, the nugget of information people want is, and sometimes people who get too wrapped up in their own profession like lawyers or, or see things, you know, in a different way. Can you think of an example where you, you, uh, anticipated something, crafted something, and then perhaps the person came back to you and said, "Thank you so much for helping me." Um, how does how does how does that go from protecting me from myself, right? Yeah, and and I hope that we do that on a regular basis for clients, because um, you know there's there's an element of um, experience can help inform strategies going forward, and there's an element of your gut instinct in that moment, right? Because it's not just a checklist every single time, and so. We do um, a fair amount of work both with colleges and universities and also independent schools, um, sadly, I would say, around accusations of sexual assault, sexual misconduct, which are very um, challenging to message around when they're very, very serious allegations. And so um, there's, you know, been a lot of work around best practices. And part of this is transparency and being willing to come forward and, and deal with tough issues. And so... I can think of times when we have advocated that um, a letter needs to go out to the community um, to, to make the accusation known, what the institution is doing about it, and to invite anyone who might have information about that particular situation or others to come forward. And I think there's been some times when the, the institution has been reluctant to do that because they're not quite sure what, um, what they may be getting themselves into, but it is the right thing to do from a standpoint of learning um, how institutions um, need to be transparent. And so when we've advocated for that and they've done it, they've gotten more reports, but they've also been acknowledged for um, doing that in in the first place. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, part of this is, and working with attorneys, you know, we both have a shared goal of protecting the client. Now, how we do that may differ a little bit. but we never think that no comment or not responding is a viable strategy. And so we find common ground with attorneys all the time on what language can we say now that um, will not open the client up to future litigation, but at least um, puts their position out there and shows that they're doing something about whatever the issue is. So has Robert Kraft made a mistake in not saying anything yet about that little incident down in Jupiter, Florida? I, th- I think that's been very interesting how um, he and his spokespeople handled it because they came out within hours of it breaking on that Friday, I think it was, with a mm-hmm. very simple statement categorically denying any illegal, illegal activity, activity right. and they've said nothing since. Right Now, some people debate whether or not that's the right thing to say, but in, from a communication standpoint, the way it's worked for them is any story that's been on that continuously refers back to that statement. Yeah, yeah. So I think while you're dealing with the legal issues, um, you know, that's um, that's the strategy that seems to be working for them. Well, mm, I'd push back a little bit yeah. <laughs> with you on that. And yes, his only statement on the record is no illegal activity. That ultimately may prove to be true. But to me, it, it's akin to almost the Clinton, the Bill Clinton thing, where, where you know, with um, and by the way, I just saw uh, just recently a documentary that's been out a little while called The Clinton Affair on A and E. Very good. It goes back. They talked to Monica and the whole thing. Whiskey, yeah. yeah, exactly. But in that, uh, you know, everyone will recall that the first time he was asked about Monica Lewinsky, mm-hmm. you know, um, did not deny, deny, deny. Right? Yeah. I, I, I did not. I haven't. Pr- 
and, and then he twice, I think, he sort of angrily said in front of the cameras, oh. I did not have an inappropriate relationship. So that did two things. One, it denied something that he ultimately had to pull back on in mm-hmm. sort of awkward fashion. And two, it you could kind of – people are smart, you know, not everybody. But most people are smart <laughs> and can read and can read through something like, I didn't have an inappropriate relationship with that woman. Well, what kind of relationship did you have? Like, there's something going – there's some legal wrangling going on there. And uh, I don't know if the craft thing rises to that level, but in saying there was no illegal activity, well – I suppose that his, it, it, to me, I, it, it sounds like, yeah, my lawyers can prove that I didn't pay for sex. Well, that's fine. But, you know, the, the sort of embarrassment to the, the organization and to, to mm-hmm. Kraft is that we know he was in this place. He hasn't denied being in this place. He hasn't denied using the services of this place. It kind of doesn't look good. Why couldn't he say, um, I'm putting Ashley on the spot, so I apologize, oh, Ashley. She's, she's, un- <laughs> she's unprepared for this. You're, you're allowed to plead the fifth. But why couldn't he say... Um, I'm not proud of what I did. I'm not going to get into particulars, but um, I'm not proud of what I did. We all make mistakes. We all have moments of of weakness. Uh, we're going to handle this. You know, my lawyers uh, are confident that I'll be able to escape the legal. But but I want to apologize for the embar- embarrassment to the organization. I hope we can all just move on. Yeah, look, maybe I'm, I'm not in issues, so I can't speculate. Yeah. I think we may hear something like that down the line. Okay. Um, but I think, you know, I think in a case like this, looking from the outside, legal is driving the strategy on this and get through that process. And I think a lot of people are hoping just that, that there'll be some sort of acknowledgement down the line. Well, as the great philosopher Rick Pitino once said, mm. when you lie about the past, it continues to be part of the future. When you tell the truth about the past, it becomes part of your pa- oh, I screwed it up. I don't know. We get I'm, the gist of what you meant. I'm not as as wise an oracle as Rick Pitino, but yeah, that's it. Uh, we're going to take a break here on the Boston Podcast. Please stay with us on this podcast. Uh, by the way, find all past episodes of this show at pod617.com the Boston Podcast Network, and please contact us if you want your own podcast. We can produce one for you here at our Westwood Studios. Be part of the pod revolution in pod we trust, people. When we come back, Ashley's going to play, oh, we always promise fun and games on this show, so we're going to play some trivia, maybe some other fun stuff. Stick around on the Boston Podcast. From pod617.com and Hirsch Roberts Weinstein LLP, it's Higher Ground featuring higher education attorney John Graff. We are dealing with issues that are breaking on an hourly basis sometimes in higher ed. What we wanted to do was actually bring the information to the listener at a time when it's convenient for them. Succinct, brief, punchy discussions with people who have experience and particularly through the lens of the people on the ground in higher ed. Higher Ground, presented by the law firm of Hirsch Roberts Weinstein LLP. Find all episodes at pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. In pod, we trust. And we're back on the Boston Podcast talking with Crisis management expert and PR maven, Ashley McCown. Um, that you laugh on? <laughs> well, you can, I'm laughing because I'm trying to invent an, a professional nickname for you on the spot, and I think I failed. But um, over at the law firm of Solomon McCown, and is the website the best place for people to find you? If I may, it's a public relations firm. I just don't want to be misrepresented. Okay. <laughs> Not a law firm. <laughs> oh, did I say law firm? Oh, my God. Jesus. Yeah. Way to go, Dave. <laughs> Buzz myself out. Um, public relations firm, there right? You, you work with lawyers. We so, do. We but, do. We do. But don't do the legal work. So, um, yeah, SolomonMcCown.com. Is that still? I'm, I'm looking at what I wrote. Is that still your your Twitter, Twitter handle? 
Ash Boomer Sooner. Ash Boomer Sooner? Yep. So what's that all about? Well, I was born in Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, I didn't live there that long, but I was born there. And uh, my grandparents went to University of Oklahoma, so I was a Sooners fan from the time I was a wee tot. was going to football games with my grandfather by the time I was four and a half. And so the Sooners are the uh, football team. University wow. of Oklahoma. Boomer yeah. Sooner. And Boomer. our little chant is Boomer Sooner. I won't sing it for you, but you get the idea. <laughs> On Twitter, it's it's uh, at Ash Boomer Sooner. That's that's cool because because every, every uh, there's a story behind every Twitter handle, um, and kind of glory years for uh, or, or has this has a dynasty started here for Oklahoma football? If it started, that, yeah. it ebbs and flows. The dynasty it certainly was when I was young. I've been to Oklahoma, and my it, oh, it's not a claim to fame at all, but sort of tenuous connection is. Um, the sister newspaper for Lawyers Weekly when I was there was the Oklahoma, oh my God, I'm going to ruin the name of the, it was like the Oklahoma Capital Times or some such thing. And their office was uh, damaged in the the Timothy McVeigh bombing. bombing yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, happily for them, no one was hurt. It was obviously one of the more tragic things ever. But we, they've, they since, they since have moved from that building. And by the time I got down there and visited, it's, uh, it's part of the Memorial Museum, so you can mm-hmm. actually see where the, the offices got uh, blown out. Um, have you had a chance to see that memorial? Have you been since? Uh, I have not. Uh, yeah. um, but one of the things I'm really happy about for Oklahoma City, it's just an incredible resurgence and expansion and development for that city, um, both with its sports franchises, art, culture, restaurants. Um, so there's just a lot of really great things going on. Um, so it's wonderful to see. I had a great time there. We had yeah. a conference there and the the city was kind of a buzz, a lot of young people around yeah. and and I was I was impressed. The woman who was my counterpart down there in Oklahoma, she said there used to be a state slogan which was we're okay mm-hmm. and she said we have to stop saying that. We're not just okay. We're, we're much better, better than, than okay. okay. <laughs> totally agree. All right, let's play the trivia game oh, that boy. we uh, are you ready, Ashley? I, I will so. explain all. It will be painless. But let me start the game here by telling you that we call it Wicked Smart. I'm smart! My boy's Wicked Smart. Anytime you can get Casey Affleck and Fredo Corleone in the same sound sting, you just got to go for it. <laughs> so here's how this works. It's pretty simple. This is uh, audio clip quiz, I guess you could call it. I'm going to play Ashley an audio clip that is, eh, let's see, the first one is just about 30 seconds. She's going to hear the voices of four Boston politicians. And then once it's over, she has to tell us how many she can correctly name. That's round one. There's a round two and round three. We'll explain it when we get there. But four clips in each for a total of 12. No one has ever recorded a perfect 12. So um, Hmm. Ashley looks slightly nervous. Um, (laughs) Don't worry. Easy lifting. You're at least going to get a couple of these, I promise. Here we go with round number one. I've often been asked, Mayor, when are you going to stop talking about racism. There's a lot of hat in this team. Let me just tell you, uh, uh, KJ is a good hat, but Hondo's really the inspiration. I'm proud to stand with him here today and offer my help, offer my voice. You set a course for great achievement and you're creating a legacy of success for future generations and a powerful example of success to the communities where you live. All right. You got any? Kevin Mr. White. Kevin White is is absolutely correct. Wait a minute. Let me ding, 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 ding. give her a louder one. Okay. Yep. Um, that's correct. Number one was. Continue. Mayor Menino. 
Mayor Menino is correct. That's two. Ed Kennedy? Te uh, Ted, Ted Kennedy. Ted Kennedy. Edward Kennedy. Well, Ted his Kennedy. name is Edward, uh, just technically. That's three. The last one is the hardest. It was a female voice. And as a, as a hint, which won't help, I can tell you she was, it was a graduation. She was uh, the, what do you call it? The keynote speaker. Commencement speaker. Commencement speaker. There you go. Yeah. Jane Swift. Oh, my goodness. Ashley has swept the category. Congratulations. <laughs> no one's gotten Jane Swift yet. People forget she was governor. Okay. Could Ashley throw a perfect game? Let's move on to the uh, uh, accent category. And when I say that, I mean actors doing Boston accents. They may be from Boston or they may not be from Boston. The accents may be good or they may be horrible. But there are only four. And here we go. I come down to Dunkin' every day. Grab a Corolla, have an extra lodge, three parliaments, take a big dump. That's kind of the routine. You're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea of what you're talking about. You've never been out of Boston. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. Don't move. That includes your tongue. All right. Ooh, you want you want it again? Yeah. It's only 20 seconds. Yeah. All right, here we go. I come down to Dunkin' every day. Grab a Corolla, have an extra lodge, three parliaments, take a big dump. That's kind of the routine. You're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea of what you're talking about. You've never been out of Boston. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. Don't move. That includes your tongue. Apologize for the uh, language in that clip, everybody, but it had to be done. All right. Start anywhere you like. First one was a guy saying, yeah, I come down to Duncan every day. I get a pack of parliaments. Casey Affleck? Yes. Oh, my God. Ashley, she, she's putting on like you're pretending like you don't know. Yeah. And um, <laughs> Casey Affleck is correct. Can you remind me the second one? The second one was uh, you're just a kid. You've never been out of Boston. Johnny Depp? Oh, there won't be a perfect game today, but thank you for uh, thank you for playing. I have to use the prices right sound at least once during it? the course of the show. That was Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting oh, talking yep. to um, uh, Matt Damon yep. on the on the bench in front of the public garden or whatever that was. Yep. The third one was um, the foul-mouthed uh, <clears throat> person saying, "Maybe yes, maybe no, maybe go f yourself." Yeah, I'm stumped in the last two. Um, this person is from the area. Is it Ben Affleck? No. Uh, losing this that, one. But, you know, good guess. I think the previous our previous contestant guessed Ben Affleck as well. Uh, that was Marky Mark Wahlberg in the movie The Departed, or as they said in the movie, The Departed. The Departed. The Departed. Yeah, some bad What's the name of The Departed? Movie? Well, there's good and bad. I, yeah. I would contend that his was okay, but, but Martin, Martin Sheen. Oh, my God, <laughs> Martin Sheen's. And then Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Oh, the world's need. The world needs plenty of bartenders. Yeah. It, it, oh God! It's like, and you know what? It, it only it's only affect us that lives here in Boston that can recognize how bad it is. I yeah. think. Um, I'm sure there are people from Chicago who flip out at a movie like I don't know the Blues Brothers, some movie that took place in Chicago about bad Chicago accents. But his was horrible. Martin Sheen's was just uh, yeah. just. <laughs> and Jack Nicholson, I don't even know what he was trying to do. He was trying to be some <laughs> old Irish guy or whatever it was. All right. Um, I've now lost track of what the last one was. The last one right was, uh, the last one, uh, let me play it again. Hold on. Let me I can that that last one. Here it is. That includes your tongue. Well, he said, uh, don't move. That includes your tongue. This was, I'll give you a hint. Mm, thank you. Um, <clears throat> after I cough, <clears throat> pardon me. Uh <laughs> 
Ashley, you Want must have taken the last water. And the, no, there's plenty of water. I just don't have it here at the desk. Uh, so this was a movie that took place in uh, in our city, and they blew, they memorably blew up a. Uh, truck in Copley Square for the shooting of this movie. I mean, they didn't really blow it up, but it was, you know, a, a movie uh, stunt. And the actor is not from Boston. All right. And that was Give me a second. Um, Jeff Bridges. Oh, my God. You're the first one to get that one. Well done. He's the bomber Ashley. of the whole yes. MIT bombing thing. Yes. Right. Do you remember that? It was a big deal when they – I in, do. In that stunt where the, the, the – it had to look like the truck – was it was kind of about the size of an ice cream truck. I don't know what it was supposed to be, but that's about what I could picture it as. And and it and it had to rise amid an explosion and kind of flip over. And everyone was so excited that day in Copley Square. That was the best part of the movie. The truck. The truck was the best actor in the movie. All right. So <laughs> you, you salvaged two out of four in that mm-hmm. round. It's still very strong. So that's a total of six out of eight. And we move on to the last one. You're gonna hear four clips of music, all that have some Boston connection. That about does it. So you had the first one, which sounded like a, a marching band, and then uh, the second one was like an old rock and rolly thing. Well, the rest were all kind of rock and roll. We'll accept either the name of the song or the the band if you uh, if you choose. So the marching band one is stumping me. Mm-hmm. Um, the Harvard marching band. Does Harvard Harvard? No, Harvard doesn't have a marching band. No. You know what? Let's do the thing like they used to do on the old quiz show games. You can skip that one and take the other ones first. So, right. so well, Aerosmith the, is one of them. Aerosmith is, is the third ab- one, I absolutely think. right. Yep. Dirty um, Water, I think, was the second one. Dirty Water was also in there as well. And the last one, I need. A the last on. one ha- was a, a harmonica kind of deal. Um, the mm-hmm. band was known for having a, a harmonica, harmonica player. They were a rhythm, rhythm and blues based rock and roll band from Boston. And the lead singer was a former disc jockey in this very city. It's not Jay Giles. I'm trying to. It is Jay Giles. Giles. Yes, yes. Well done. Now the first. The marching band. Yeah, I'll play a little bit of the first one. Our last contestant whiffed on this one as well, and I thought it was was easy. I guess it's not easy. Here we go. It's loud. It's not so much the band as the the um, song. It is the it is a theme song for one of our. Institutions of yes. higher education? You got it. Mm, okay. <clears throat> so, BU? No. No. No, that's BC. That's uh, BC. Oh, for Boston, the, yeah, yeah. Um, the Boston College. Well, you know what? Um, huge yeah. round of applause for Ashley. <laughs> I think that the last. Yeah, the last. Um, <clears throat> so I get. The last guy we had in here, I think he got, uh, I don't think he did as well as you did. Let's see, you got, uh, you did, you got um, three, three, and four. What is that? That's 10. 10. That's 10 10 in my book. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, um, We're going to give you, 
I'm going to give you the air horn for that. Wow. So, um, <clears throat> listen, I hope you had fun. We're up against the clock, Ashley. This is Was great. that cool? Yeah, totally enjoyed it. All right. Well, we'll have you back on the show. Make sure if you want to get in touch with Ashley and see any of that. Now, you guys have a blog on the website, right? We do. There's a blog. There's a lot of great stuff on there. They just launched a podcast, so God bless you. All pod is good pod. In pods we trust. In pod we trust. <laughs> right. And it's got some cool conversations, and it's got uh, Ashley talking about what she did. And her parents were able to listen and learn about what they did, and they're so proud, aren't they? They are proud. Okay. Love my parents. <laughs> Very cool. Um, thanks for joining. Thanks for joining me, Ashley. And to all of you listening, we appreciate it here at the Boston Podcast Network. Once again, if you want to get in touch with us, talk back to us, go to thebostonpodcast.com or easier to remember, pod617.com. Get your own podcast, learn about how the process is done. Come visit us here at our Westwood studios and enjoy your day, Boston. Boston, I'm a for itself.